Talk radio and all podcasting platforms. This is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Hucci. Welcome back to another episode of Max and Friends. If it's your first time tuning in, where have you been? We are here 13 years and counting numerous awards from Telly Awards to Davey Awards to W3 Awards to Communicator Awards because we communicate here on Max and Friends with Conscious Conversations. Tonight, we have a great conscious conversation about sustainable farming and about so many wonderful things that agriculture is part of our life. And, um, in general, just what we need to know about food and farms and and urban farms, and not only urban farms, but local lovely farms that are in the country, like the antique dairy farm that I bought in North Salem, New York. So we're having these conversations, why? Because on October 20, I gotta get the date right. This is like the big thing. We're shouting out October 23rd, 2021 at six o'clock p.m. in Bedford, New York at the Maple Grove Farm. I'm emceeing and chairing an event called Denim, Diamonds, and Delmonico's. And Denim, Diamonds, and Delmonico's is a great event because it's sponsoring the August West Foundation. And we're just putting together an amazing event for the community to understand sustainable agriculture, sustainable farming, to understand urban farming, and to also understand my new cookbook that Rizzoli is publishing next year because the recipes for the evening, um, the menu is actually compiled of the recipes for the evening. My buddy, my pal, Thomas, Tommy Dugal is going to be the chef for the evening. And John Ubaldo is going to be part of this because this is John's baby, August West Foundation, literally named after his son. And one of my pals who you all know, Taja Seville, recording artist, founder of Urban Farming, author, philanthropist, humanitarian, the list goes on. But most importantly, one of my dear friends who we had a conversation prior to the show. We have been friends since I'm like 16 or 17 years old. So you figure out the math. And it all happened one day because I was in Connecticut and Greenwich. I was at dinner at Bang. The rest of the kitchen had just closed and there was this woman there named Lisa. She saw my little red Mercedes and she goes, is that your car? I said, yes. She jumped in. The roof went down. Cosmic girl went in. We drove through the back roads of Greenwich <laughs> to my house and she made me dinner. And then she's like, you have to meet Taja. You have to meet Taja. Taja's in Connecticut. She's in Westport. I'm like, who's Taja? She's like, love is contagious, Taja. And we didn't have Google back then. <laughs> so I was like, what does that mean? I think in 1987, I was like, I was eight. <laughs> so she's like, she's a singer and you'll love her. She's beautiful. I said, okay, great. So um, we met and we met actually in nature. We went to my Aunt Clara's house in Greenwich. We were sitting outside. We, we just had a, a soul connection. And later on uh, to determine that there was a movie with a song um, that's called Everybody is Somebody. And as you know, Taj has been here on Max and Friends before because we've been promoting urban farming for years here on Max and Friends and Taj's book. And, and we spoke about so many things that afternoon. And then when I discovered that in that song, um, that's so good, everybody is somebody, which is a fact. Everybody is somebody. I think that's the message of today's show. Um, Taja sings, and a mother has a child. And before that child was born, she, she is somebody. And I remember that from the movie Lean on Me. And um, when I heard that song way before I knew Taja, that lick was always stuck in my head that when a mother has a child and before that child is born, 
she, he, they are somebody. We all are somebody because the song is everybody is somebody. Anyway, so when I like Googled years later and I saw that correlation and I saw Taja's name in the credits, it was just like when all that is rises up to meet you in that joy moment and you're like, wow, I like back then consciously created and manifested Taja being in my life. And here we are all these years later. And so we're honoring Taja on October 23rd because as you'll learn tonight on the show, Taja has... Uh, has dedicated her life not only to music and, and being a humanitarian, but also to urban farming. And what does that mean? You all know that we grow vegetables and that we farm and we have sustainable gardens and, and animals and, and livestock. But what happens when you live in an urban environment? What happens when property is left abandoned and the government holds on to it? Can we use that soil to create a garden? And what if you don't have the soil? Can we create a wall garden, either on your terrace or on your building? And there was a study done that showed that more people would rather grow their own food than depend on the government to supply food for them. Without any further ado, welcome back to Max and Friends, my friend, Taja Seville. Hey, Taj. Hello, how are you? I'm great. Did that like sum everything up in just a brief few minutes? <laughs> oh, it was it was awesome. And you know, I really appreciate you having me on the show specifically for this subject, which is a great and important and critical subject about regenerative farming and and sustainable farming. Um, I'm really excited to hear what John has to say in in the upcoming segments here as well. But um, yeah, you 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 pretty much uh, nailed it in terms of our introduction. Uh, I was hanging out a lot with Nile Rogers in Connecticut at that point. We were doing a lot of songwriting, and um, and Lisa was a good friend of Niles, and and so there you go. The 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 universe connects and connected us, connects. and we've been friends ever since. That's right. And you had Max in your life. And then it was like another Max appeared. You know, it's like when yeah. one goes, another one shows up. So that's how the divine works sometimes. Yes. Right? Yes. Or yes. all the time. Yep. So, yeah. So I'm really grateful you're here. Before we get John on the show, tell us a little bit about urban farming and what it means to not only the United States, but to the global effect of urban farming. Okay, so so just to give people a little bit of background who may not know, um, I'm a recording artist and I got my start with Prince. He gave me my first record deal. And um, and I worked with Paisley Park and I recorded a few records on on Paisley, Paisley and Warner Brothers and Reprise. And um, and subsequent to that, I, I lived in England for a while and in New York as well. And I started recording with Sony Records. And while I was recording with Sony Records, obviously this was after my recording deal with Prince, um, I, I was recording in Detroit, Michigan with a producer here, and I began to see all of the unused land within the city of Detroit. It was just an undue amount of fallow land. It was like 17,000 acres of unused land in the city. Um, it was costing the city nearly a million dollars a year to mow that land. And I started to also learn about the just tremendous amount of poverty that was, uh, you know, that that Detroit was suffering from as well and food insecurity. And um, and I had lived on a farm for about three years, three and a half years in my early teens. So when I saw that unused land, what I saw was opportunity. Um, I couldn't understand why if people are starving and suffering from food insecurity, why we couldn't just plant food on that land. 
So that's exactly what I started doing. I put my music career on the back burner and we started planting community gardens of free food for people in the community. Um, people could literally just go on the garden 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether they worked in the garden or not, and pick the food. And that's what got me into urban farming. I started urban farming uh, in about 2004 to, and formally launched it in 2005. We were on the Montel Williams show and that just sort of catapulted us. We ended up getting um, over the next four and a half years, over 30,000 media stories worldwide. Um, and we started planting these um, gardens of, of free food for people all around the United States. You know, and, I can um, see you speaking because we're on camera, but for those who can't, the joy that's in your smile while you say that, it is contagious. You know, that's where love, your song, Love is Contagious, you give that love and that is contagious. But the most, one of the most notable programs you were on is the Ellen DeGeneres show when you were involved with um, Triscuits and they put seeds in their packages. Explain more and what that means. Cause people think that we have to buy plants, but no, actually things do grow from some, from seeds. And it's not as difficult as we think as you showed on the Ellen show. Well, so we were we had just done a, a piece on Good Morning America with Chris Cuomo. We had put an edible wall in at an after school facility in Harlem. And literally two hours after we, we the show aired, it was live, obviously, I, I received a phone call. It was uh, they wouldn't tell me who they were at first, but they said, can you plant 100 gardens around the United States? And of course, I said yes. And um, so that morphed into what it was. It, it was it was a representative for Kraft and the Triscuit Cracker. And they were finding that four out of five consumers wanted less additives in their food. So they selected the Triscuit Cracker as a promotional. And we ended up planting 65 gardens in 21 cities across the United States. They put us on the back of 28 million boxes of the Triscuit Cracker where they put these little seeds embedded in the box. So you could actually plant, you could cut the cardboard and plant the seed in the ground. And they also put us on the Ellen DeGeneres show and um, Ellen put a garden on the set of her show and she promoted the project all year, which was kind of unheard of. And so for us, it was amazing because the, the messaging was, you know, growing your own food, getting back to nature, eating healthy, and that kind of messaging and, and, and just the whole messaging for community gardening had not been enjoyed literally since the World War II Victory Gardens. Yeah. Um, and I'll just, right. I just wanna say this really quickly about the World War II Victory Gardens. That was a wartime effort. It was it was it was the Ministry of Agriculture actually put out sayings and slogans. One of them was a vegetable garden for every home um, for civic morale and food. And so when we were down and out as a country and we were trying to fight this war, we had victory gardens. Twenty million Americans planted almost half of our nation's produce supply. So I just want to tie that into what's happening right now today. Do we still even have a missionary of agriculture, or do we? Is that even still a government program? This is a good question. I don't know. <laughs> we have to find out. But there's two questions I have in what you were saying. One, okay. Ellen wanted you to come to her house to plant the garden. Did you ever do that? Yes, we did. We planted it, and she aired that on the show. And uh, it was great. And she also offered me a, a television show and a book deal. Um, wow. We were there. 
We had a lot of Speaking good of conversations. Books, you do have a book. Tell us about your book. I wrote the book. The book is called From the Root. It's a memoir and a philosophy for balance in our world. And um, it's really- You were here before on Max and Friends when we promoted it. So if you want to hear yeah. that show, go to latalkradio.com backslash Max. You can learn more about Taja's book. You can get the book now on all um, bookstores online. And the other question I had for you, Taj, was um, what does a wall garden actually mean? Define wall garden. Okay, so a wall garden is literally a garden on the wall. And we we introduced these in 2008 on and around the Skid Row area of Los Angeles. We had 20 foot, um, 20, it was 20 by six, I think, foot or eight foot walls that we installed at um, the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank and other areas and a school and uh, facilities for formerly homeless people. And these, it, once we once we installed these walls, the whole idea of edible walls really took off. Now we have urban farming family, and we're selling edible walls. So if you're living in like Brooklyn or you're you know somewhere in an apartment, you don't really have the space to plant, you can get an edible wall. You can put it on your terrace. Um, you could conceivably have enough to to grow in on a terrace or indoors to really complement your food security and create food security for your family and yourself. Wow. So, you know what? We've got to get into this conversation because October 23rd is around the corner. You can go to Facebook right now and you can find Denim, Diamonds, and Delmonico's event. We're going to post it. We're going to, we're going to spread the word on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, on all social media platforms. We have an um, Eventbrite page where you can go buy tickets. And the reason why I say that is because my buddy's here. You know, former Wall Street investment banker turned into a farmer. And there is an amazing documentary about him and his life, which is called The Bullish farmer. And it's about this Wall Street investment banker turned farmer and his struggles to build and run a farm that feeds his family and his community. And speaking of feeding his community, I was just there this morning at John Boy's outpost in Bedford, New York. I was fed this morning. He feeds the community. He's part of the community. And together we rise in this community. And so for me, it was important to get this event going, to get people involved in spreading the word about farming. It's so important right now. And I think there's going to be a surge in real estate, in farms. And I had a great conversation with a fellow foodie, Jennifer English, who was like, Max, you hit the nail on the head by buying a farm. Now, I bought this farm. It is like the <laughs> the uh, the biggest little farm documentary because it's the, um, I call it the non-working, working farm. It will be working. But there is a farm that works and it works really well. And my pal is here, John Ubaldo. Welcome to Max and Friends and the Bullish Farmer documentary star. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, man. I'm grateful you're here. Me too. I really, uh, all of your help and support has just been amazing, to be honest with you. So to get into the conversation, you're on Wall Street. When did you decide to say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm going to go become a farmer and I'm really going to struggle. Forget the, the struggles of Wall Street. You're going to struggle with nature. When did that happen? Um, it happened right after September 11th. Um, I was probably 2002 and decided uh, if there was any time for me to make the move, that was the time. Um, obviously, a lot had changed, and um, I, I kind of had enough. So in 2002, I bailed out and started uh, just raising some chickens and stuff and the house I grew up with in and, uh, you know, spent a lot of time looking for a piece of property that would suit what I wanted to do, even though I really had no idea what I 
you know, what the big picture was going to be. Mm-hmm. So why farming? So, I'm sorry? Why farming? What made, why, what, what, what is it about farming that was like, I got to do this? Well, for me, um, for me, I knew I was going to have a kid down the pipeline. Um, and I wanted him to be able to grow up like I did in the woods, hunting, fishing, uh, and being part of a small town where everybody knows everybody and the kids grow up, you know, pretty much together as a community. I thought it was a rare opportunity to step back in time. Um, and as it turns out, I ended up buying a place that I had tried to buy 20 years earlier um, that was sold out to a developer who luckily went bankrupt and never developed the property. So it was kind of a rare opportunity to do something stupid twice. <laughs> and then the universe rose up and was like, you're doing this. You're listening to Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci. My guest is John Ubaldo from the documentary, The Bullish Farmer. And my guest, my co-host is Taja Seville, I should say. <laughs> Taja's been here before and she knows the roots here on Max and Friends. If you want to tweet me or Instagram me, do that at Max Tucci and at, at Max Tucci Radio. Email me, max at maxtucci.com. And let me know if you want to come to this event on October 23rd. We're here promoting it. Spread the word. You know, community means we have to commune together. So be part of that community and commune with us. Taj, I know you have questions for John because we've had we've had conversations prior to today's show. So Taj, you know, what is it for you that when you see, and John did have a son, his name is August West, so the foundation is the August West Foundation. And Taj, when you read their mission statement, you're like, he's he's got his finger on the pulse. So tell us about why you accepted to be part of this and why you're accepting being honored at our Denim Diamonds and Demonico event on October 23rd. Well, there are a couple of reasons. My father um, was, he left uh, the family business, sort of lucrative business and, and up and bought a farm out of nowhere. I relate to that. That's something that John did. Um, I ended up putting my music career on the back burner and started urban farming and that, you know, charitable work, it's a struggle. It's not like uh, you're putting out songs and, and making a ton of money. Um, it's, a, it's a radical turn. So I relate to that. One of the things that I really love is the regenerative farming. So you can talk about farming all day long, but what kind of farming are we talking about? Are we talking about the kind of farming that's really, um, you know, conventional farming that reduces the soil and, and, and makes it devoid of my, microorganisms, um, basically chemically fallowed land, um, or regenerative that that actually um, sucks the, the, you know, the, 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 the elements out of the air that, that are creating global warming and puts it back into the ground, the carbon. So I really related to the fact that John was doing not just any old farming, he was doing regenerative, sustainable, sustainable farming. And that's, that's what I'm really behind because that mm. is what will heal our world from the root. From the root, indeed. So John, why sustainable farming? Um, well, my goal was to create the cleanest food that you could possibly eat. And we are 100% chemical free operation. We have, you know, basically zero outside inputs. And so my knowledge of genetically modified crops goes back to 96 when they were introduced. I knew there was a better way to do it. We had tried to, um, we had tried conventional, not conventional, but going organic and decided that 
in order to do this, and we really needed to control everything from growing the crops to making grain to feeding it to our animals to controlling everything start to finish in, in order to create a unique product that was pretty much void of any chemicals, heavy metals, or drugs or anything else. We use no drugs. We are really heavy on minerals, herbs, spices, and probiotics with the animals. Um, and so we designed basically, I basically designed my own grain rations for my animals that uh, there's actually an organic company in Vermont that sells them under my name. So the goal was to the cleanest food you could eat while maintaining your land, creating buffers. I mean, we keep buffers of milkweed for the monarchs and just creating a more of an ecosystem rather than a farm um, where everybody kind of, you know, the pigs live in the woods and it's just kind of, uh, kind of more of an ecosystem where everything is just yeah. clean, stress-free. Uh, where the animals can thrive. Yeah, naturally. You know, it's interesting that when people are like, Max, what is your connection with farming? Well, Delmonico's, you know, my grandfather back in 1930s and 20s would go to Staten Island. Staten Island off of New York City were majority of farms. And my grandfather used to go oh. every morning for Delmonico's and he would go to Bridgeport, Connecticut for farms. So farm to table, it was nothing new for Delmonico's. He even had, um, he had a Cadillac converted into a refrigerator car so that when he went to the farms that he could bring the food back and it wouldn't be, you know, it, it would, it was perishable. So he had to make sure that it was, it was sustainable and that people could enjoy it and eat it. And that's when he created the wedge salad in the 1930s when times were tough, you know, he had to come up with something that people were going to enjoy. And of course, iceberg lettuce was something inexpensive at the time and it still is. So, um, I, you know, that my connection with farms is that, and to the fact that even at Delmonico's, we had printing presses upstairs. We owned the building down at 56 Beaver Street in New York. And my grandfather had printing presses upstairs where he printed new menus on the daily. He said, we have yeah. to bring in printing presses because menus are being produced every day. Every day as I go to these farms and we have produce and we have live, you know, um, and meats being delivered, we have to update the menus every day. So he had a progression wow. in this. And um, I yeah. I just want to say, you know, I remember the first time I was in Italy and I tried a tomato. It was like the first thing that I ate. Yeah. And my friend who was with me, we just looked at each other and we were blown away. It was like I had never tasted a tomato. And as I learned, you know, more and more, you learn these things that that, that everything is cooked fresh and there are no chemical additives mm -hmm. in Italy. And the food is yeah. unbelievable. So I can understand why your father yeah. did that. That's really cool. You know, so so it was really part of Delmonico's. Um, lineage and part of Delmonico's vision to be, um, you know, to be a farming farm to table restaurant. And it wasn't always a steakhouse. That is a huge misconception. My book, The Delmonico Way by Rizzoli will come out next year. So you'll learn more about it. You'll have some wonderful recipes in the book, 70 recipes and including those recipes, we will have some of them included at our event on October 23rd. So I wish for all of you who can be there. It's a petite gala. We don't have, uh, you know, where there's so many COVID precautions. So we're indoor, outdoor, it's in a barn. And we're really excited to have this event. We're going to post more about it on social media. Taja and hers, mine and mine and John and his. John, what are you, what is your goal for our, for our, our, our little gala? What is your goal? Well, first and foremost, to create a little more awareness. 
Um, the biggest thing that my foundation does is to um, try and help small farms switch gears, clean up the land, and be able to enter into the more lucrative market of producing a higher quality as opposed to a commercial product. Right now, um, we are working with I'm working with the Secretary of Agriculture of the state of Vermont and the USDA on working on a solution for the organic dairy farms in Vermont, Maine, and New Hampshire that have been dropped by Horizon Organic because they're going with a monster organic farm out in Ohio. So over 90 farms in a year from now are going to be left hanging with no place to sell their milk. So we are working on establishing a farm co-op that can give them security uh, going forward and begin to grow the organic dairy business a little better in, uh, in New England. Wow. You know, I, I, I think that's so wonderful, John, that you're doing that. And I just want to ask you, when you help a farm transition, what are some of the things that they need to do to, to um, you know, recapture the microorganisms that are lost in the soil and, and regenerate the soil, remitigate, re I guess? Yeah. Well, well, really, what you're saying is the first thing that you need to do, you need to uh, you know, most soil now is void of microorganisms and sprayed with a petroleum-based fertilizer. So you're basically growing corn and stuff, you know, in a petri dish. Um, so the idea is to begin to plant cover crops and mix them back into the soil and put nutrients and bacteria and organisms back into the soil yeah. to basically make it healthy again. The soil is basically sick. Yeah. Um, so well, that's what we, you know, that is always step number one. While we devise a plan of what is best for the farm, what we think that they can handle. And we've started a lot of young couples with farms, um, but we work to sequester carbon. We work to work the land a little more uh, knowledgeable. Like one of the things that I've always said is that chemicals have just replaced knowledge. Like when you're a regenerative farmer, you need to think into the future and not make any mistakes. Um, if you're just a farmer and you get bugs, you spray. If you need to get it to grow more, you spray. So we try to impart and really educate farmers on being able to switch gears. And you know where I am is a very poor area. And most of the kids would love to stay, but they have no choice to leave. But they're some of the best trained farmers there is. They've done it their whole lives. So I think yeah. to create an opportunity to entice the younger kids to stay on the land. You know, John, what's what's real, real, uh, real important and real quick is that with all of this, you know, I live in North Salem and there's a wonderful program here where people are, uh, are subsidizing. If you're going to put Roundup or something, they will subsidize the organic. So I encourage listeners to start those programs where if you want the soil to be rich, be the difference, pay for the difference. 
So um, with that said, Taj, I know you have stuff to say. So take the mic and, and take, take it away. <laughs> well, just on the subject of healthy soils, I, what I've learned is that the soil is the immune system for the plants, basically. So if the soil pH balance is off, then this, the plants can't be healthy. If, they don't, if, they don't, if the soil doesn't have all of the microorganisms and the nutrients in it that the plants need, then the plant can't be healthy. In the same way that our immune systems, if our pH pH balance is off, it throws our health off. If we don't have the all of the immune builders and we don't have all the nutrients we need, then we have, you know, that's when we get into to problems with weak immune systems. So that's really important for people to know. Healthy soil is is when you have, when you're farming in a way where you're actually building the soil, you're farming in a way that heals the planet. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And people don't realize that the majority of their health is determined by the soil that their food is grown in. So if you're constantly spraying or using synthetic fertilizers, you know, you ingest that into your body in therapeutic therapeutic doses three times a day. It's, it becomes, it will obviously is a huge problem. We are the, you know, sickest developed nation in the world. So to try and reverse that is is no small task, but feasible. Every farm that I work with is a net carbon sequestering farm. We we pull carbon out of the air into the ground. Period. So tell us more about that, John, because that is so. I don't think people really understand that when you are farming in this way, you're literally cleaning the environment. You're really pull, pulling the carbon into the soil where it needs to be and and it's helping the plant so it's a cycle that has been disrupted by com- conventional conventional and commercial farming tell us a little bit more about that i think that is so interesting and so important for people to know about yeah the big thing for you know the big thing for people to realize is Yes, we have, the climate is changing because of excessive levels of carbon. The, the most important thing that you can take away um, and understand that there isn't really money in this and no country is focused on it, but if 20% of the agricultural land in the world was replaced with, was planted with cover crops, you could eliminate all of the anthropogenic carbon, which is just a nice word for man-made, you could remove all of that carbon from the atmosphere in five years. And so when you have 198 million exposed acres in the United States that gets flipped over, releases carbon, then is sprayed with chemicals, your agriculture is one of the biggest contributors to climate change. So as you have the landscape dotted with all of these small farms that you keep natural barriers, you create an ecosystem, you are pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and sequestering it in the land. The plants take in the CO2, it goes into the soil, and oxygen is, is given off. And the biggest example is the Amazon rainforest for we grew up knowing that the Amazon rainforest was the lung of the planet. Well, we move 80, 100 million acres of the Amazon land forest, 
and plant it with genetically modified crops and put land, uh, livestock on it, you've, you've destroyed one of the biggest carbon sequesters on the entire planet and created a machine for pumping carbon into the atmosphere. So basically what you're saying, and, and what I've understood as well, is that regenerative farming not only produces clean food that helps your immune system, um, it, it's or, you know, organic, no chemicals, but it also sequesters carbon from the air. And if we had 20%, if, if just 20% of the farms farmed this way, we would be able to reverse global warming in five years. I mean, isn't it interesting that the very thing, commercial farming, is not only producing food that isn't good for us, it's damaging to our health, but it's also damaging our earth. So what about the players out there who might be, you know, sort of throwing out the word sustainable farming, but may really be doing some other things and maybe utilizing GMOs, genetically modified um, plants. And, um, you know, what, what, what say you, <laughs> what say you about um, sort of uh, posturing something with a good cause, but, but when you dig a little bit deeper, you find out that there are methods being used that are not good for people or the soil or the planet. How can we encourage people to, to shift over? And certainly there's a lot of money to be made in it. So how can we encourage those shifts and don't just posture and, and, and use the word sustainable farming in a way that, that's not accurate, in your opinion? You know, part of it is, listen, a big piece of the puzzle is education. There's no question. But you need to get, you need to get a change in conscious of Americans as a whole, off the fast food drug, off the supermarket, blaze in, blaze out, prepared foods you could throw in a micro. People have to start cooking again. And people have to understand that there's so many studies to back this up. Children do better in school when they eat better food. You're going to be more healthier going forward when you eat cleaner food. So my whole, you know, my whole vision has been to build this system so when Americans finally catch on, it is there and in existence as opposed to them catching on and it not be available or being like a, an elite type of product. There needs to be a hundred thousand farms like mine. It needs to be a, a complete change. And it starts with education, which, uh, you know, we do as much as we can, colleges, universities, high schools, but you need to get everybody to the point where they realize that as you get closer to this, supposed point of no return that there is a solution and you have to pay money for it instead of try and make money off it by coming up with alternative stuff or you know hocus pocus like electric cars um you know there needs to be a conscious effort to buy from small farms and part of what we do is distribution marketing sales to help small farms that wouldn't reach the larger markets to get into them. Like you really have to kind of put some effort in to go to a farmer's market, going to my store, going home and cooking. But until that effort is made, you're really just, you're really truthfully not going to see much. You're not going to see much progress. 
Yeah, I think it's really important as we move into this sort of exponentially uh, fast-paced um, world of, of new technology to understand that there are fundamentals that are basic and that never change for the you know health of, of the human and the human spirit. Um, and, and farming is one of them. It's not like we need all the, you know, farming based off of technology and all. We don't, it's very, you know, sure technology has a place within it, but it's not like we need to um, genetically modify seeds so that they can be patented. We don't need to do that. We don't need to have all of these chemical pesticides and fertilizers. We need to go back to the way that farming used to be when people were a lot healthier. Right now in the United States, since about 1983, when we first, I think there was only a 12% chronic illness rate in the United States at that point, it's, it's, it's over 50% chronic illness rate. So we're slaughtering ourselves with poor food, pesticides, chemical fertilizers, all kinds of drugs that we don't need to, to be taking if we have a healthy immune system, just like the soil. If the soil is healthy, it doesn't. It, it should never be plastered with these chemical fertilizers. Um, it, it, we need to go sort of old school. So it's a combination of moving forward, old school and new school, but not forgetting the ancient wisdoms of, of farming. I, 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 uh, again, I'll throw it back to you, John. What do you have to say about that? Well, I mean, the, you know, one of, the things, one of the things that you said that stuck with me is healthy soil really does help plants be strong and create an immune system. The, the reason why we don't have to use sprays or anything is that these plants, especially, especially old-style corn, is able to produce its own natural pesticides and bug repellents um, by being strong. Like one of the biggest uh, examples are apple trees. When you take an apple tree and cut it back really, really hard to have those gnarly looking high producing apple trees, you can only imagine how stressful that is on the tree itself. So what happens is you get into the pattern of having to use chemicals in order to maintain that yield because that tree is pretty stressed out from being, you know, from being cut to pieces. But the, this whole idea of people just blazing right over this and not realizing that you're eating three times a day. The most important thing to your health is your food. Why would you ingest so much soy and GMO corn and, and all the fillers and everything that is in there? Like, I just, I, I don't, it, it's always baffled me that it's taken so long to catch on where all you need to do is go to other countries and in particular in Italy or a lot of Eastern Europe and realize that they get it. Why is it that they, you know, why is it that they get it? And it, it, it's always baffled me that food is the last thing that we think of as a source of health. 
I, I, I just agree with you 100%. And I'll say that dealing with a lot of communities, uh, with urban farming, it's not just in urban areas. We've, we've, um, we've put guards in suburban areas and rural areas as well. But in the urban areas, um, you see these food deserts where people just literally don't have access to any, really any food and uh, much less any good food except for fast food. Um, according to a study from Brown School at Washington University in St. Louis, childhood poverty, not including adult poverty, cost the U.S. alone approximately $1.3 trillion, and that was in uh, 2015. So you can imagine what it's costing us now. That's you know over a trillion dollars right there that could be recaptured if people were just eating right, because they, 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 they may be in poverty, okay? But when you couple the fact that you're, you're living without the means and you're only around fast food restaurants, imagine the mental health issues that come in and combine with the poor eating issues. Um, you know, the, these things, I mean, according to the American Journal of Psychiatry, serious mental illness costs the U.S. one point, uh, I'm sorry, $192 billion in lost earnings each year. Um, and that was before the pandemic. So when you couple these things together, you see the tremendous amount of resources that are being lost because we're managing, we're mismanaging our world. We're managing our world we in are. such a backwards way. Well, the way that hi guys, I'm back. Sorry, I'm in the board meeting. I'm in. The, I have. I'm on the board of the Lehman Center, and we have a board meeting, an annual board meeting after COVID. <laughs> and so I'm multitasking. Taja, you did an amazing job as my host. I appreciate you so much. And we're the ones that are going to bring it back. You know, together we rise. So I'm so grateful for you and John to be here today. October 23rd is our event, Denim, Diamonds, and Delmonico's. It's going to be in Bedford, New York on October 23rd, 6 p.m. We've got Smokey, Hormel, and the and the Roundup. Smokey is uh, the guitarist from Beck. We've got a live auction, a silent auction. Taja's coming in. She's going to be honored. And we're going to have a fun super night. So I hope you all can join us. Before we go, John, thank you so much for joining us here on Max and Friends. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for having me, Max. You're of course. Sweet. And Taja, we're going to play one of your songs. We can, so you pick one of the three that you want to play, and that's the one we're going to play. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we'll start it out fast, and then we'll wind down. Um, the, we're only going to play one. We don't have time. So all we got is one oh. song. So pick one of well, the let's three. Go, let's go with Love is Contagious. All right, because Love is Contagious. Taj, before we go, what do you want people to take with them into this week and into the next um, moment? Be mindful about what you're eating. Uh, really think about the things that we talked about. John just gave us some great knowledge. Um, and if you're interested in, in an edible wall, go to urbanfarmingfamily.com. Um, definitely check out the August West Foundation and help support it and come to our event. Have the wonderful food from the Delmonico's cookbook that that, uh, that Max is, is going to have out next year. I can't wait to try it. And we'll have more of these discussions at the event. So we hope that we see you there. We will. We will carry this conversation. What I'm going to tell you to bring into this week is Taja's song, Love is Contagious. And you know what? In order to give love, you got to receive love and receive love, you got to give love. So whatever you do in love, make sure that it's contagious. Take love and make it, literally take Taja's song, Love is Contagious, and put it into effect into your life. Because love is contagious. I love you for tuning in to Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Succi. Until next time, be well, good night, take life to the max. Good night and good karma. And right now on Max and Friends, Taja's hit, Love is Contagious.
Just don't care tonight.